Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Playmakers. What's up guys? For today's video, I'm gonna be going through my fantasy football running back rankings. It's been about a month since I put out my last set of rankings, so I thought this would be a good time to update it. The Cam Akers injury is definitely gonna shift these rankings around. I'm also gonna be talking about my top 24 running backs. In the last video, I talked about the top 18, so we're gonna add some players to these rankings as well. If you guys watch this video and you're enjoying the content, please just leave a like and subscribe to the channel. That really helps support me and I would appreciate it a lot. And then also let me hear your thoughts down below in the comment section. Let me know what you think of these rankings. Let me know what you think is right, what you guys would change. I wanna hear your perspectives. And then also make sure you guys give your reasoning down below and I'll respond to everyone who comments. But let's get right into it. My number one fantasy football running back for this season has got to be Christian McCaffrey. I've talked about it in a lot of videos. I honestly think that if Christian McCaffrey is not your number one, I just think you're overthinking it. Because when Christian McCaffrey is on the field, there is no doubt that he is the number one fantasy player. He has a ceiling that no other player can touch. He can legitimately go out there and average around 30 PPR points per game. I don't think any other player has that in their repertoire. And some people are concerned about Sam Darnold coming in. I really don't care. Christian McCaffrey has succeeded with subpar quarterbacks. He's played with Cam Newton towards the tail end of his career. Teddy Bridgewater last season. Bridgewater was nothing special and McCaffrey was still balling out. And I really think Darnold's floor is pretty similar to the numbers that Bridgewater put together last season. So with the receiving upside that he provides, he's gonna have such a huge target share in this offense. He is the clear workhorse. He gets every single red zone touch. He's basically gonna get every single carry. He rarely ever comes off the field. And prior to last season, he had no injury history, played in all 16 games in his first three seasons. So C-Mac is definitely my locked in running back one. At number two, I have Delvin Cook. And this is also pretty locked in for me here. He's another player who's gonna get basically every touch in that offense. He is a huge red zone threat. When the Vikings are inside the 20, they are feeding Delvin Cook the ball on the ground or in the air. He has that receiving upside as well. And so another one of these workhorses that I think is gonna have another huge year this year. Up next, it's Derrick Henry. And he has just been the model of consistency in fantasy football. The last two seasons, he's proven that he is a high-end running back one. He doesn't even need to have that receiving upside to put up those top-tier fantasy numbers. He's gonna get so many carries. He has so much touchdown upside. And I think that's only increased this year. Bringing in Julio Jones, how are defenses gonna stop this offense? You have to respect the passing game even more than you did last season. So that should open some things up for Derrick Henry. And I know some people are concerned about his overall workload, but I just don't think Derrick Henry is your typical NFL running back. The man just does not miss games. He's only missed two games his entire career. And so I'm not gonna go out and project injury on him when we really haven't seen any signs of it. And also it's not like he slows down towards the end of the season. He actually heats up towards the end of the season. It's like the defenses are worn down and Derrick Henry is just a robot and he does not fade. He has some of his biggest games, week 15, week 16, week 17, which is honestly perfect for fantasy because those are the weeks that can help win you your championships. 
At number four, it's Alvin Kamara, and he is coming off a huge fantasy football season. I definitely think he has a higher ceiling than Derrick Henry, just because he has that high upside in the receiving game. But I also think there's just a little bit more uncertainty with this Saints offense. I'm confident that no matter who the Saints put in at quarterback, whether it's Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, that Alvin Kamara is still going to put up high-end RB1 numbers. But I definitely think that receiving is capped from when Drew Brees was quarterback. Late in Drew Brees' career, he was not pushing the ball down the field. He was just feeding Alvin Kamara wheel routes and dump offs. I mean, Alvin Kamara was the number one target on that Saints team last season with Michael Thomas having a down year. So I'm confident that Sean Payton is gonna get him involved. Obviously, I think it's ideal that Jameis Winston is the starter just because I think Taysom Hill is gonna vulture those goal line touches and he may do it anyway because I think there's honestly maybe some sort of quarterback split. You know, maybe Jameis Winston takes like 80% of the snaps, but they get in the red zone and they put Taysom Hill in. That's possible. And so that's just why I have Alvin Kamara a little bit lower than where he finished last season. There's just a little bit more uncertainty with him than guys like McCaffrey, Cook, or Henry. Coming in at number five, it's Ezekiel Elliott. And I think some people may disagree with this, but I think Ezekiel Elliott is poised to have a major bounce back season. You look at his entire career, every season up until 2020, he was a solid locked in RB1. And so I'm not gonna let one year you know, totally cloud my memory. And you just can't ignore all the things that went against Zeke. When Dak was on the field and that offensive line was healthy, Zeke was putting up high-end RB1 numbers. Those first five weeks of the season, he was balling out. But then obviously when your quarterback goes down, your offensive line suffers a ton of injuries. He suffered injuries. Obviously your production is gonna go down. And I mean, he definitely busted last year. There's no way around it. But I think he's set up to return to that mid to high-end RB1 form. With Dak back, this offense is gonna be crazy explosive. I'm just totally buying in on this Cowboys offense. It really helps that the defense overall is bad. So this offense is gonna need to continue to score points throughout the entire game. I feel like there's gonna be very few scenarios where they're actually just kind of bleeding the clock. I just don't see it happening that often. And so Zeke is gonna be in line for a ton of work and he also has some really solid involvement in the receiving game. Right now I have Saquon Barkley at number six, but I think he's a pretty distant six from those top five. I'm just really concerned about Saquon Barkley this year. The talent is undeniable. If he's healthy and in a good situation, I mean, he has that Christian McCaffrey upside, but the thing is he's not healthy and he's not in a great situation. Reports came out about a month ago that he may be on a snap limit in the first few weeks of the season. And then now we're hearing that he may not even be able to suit up in week one. And I kind of have a philosophy where I'm not drafting for injuries injuries will find you throughout the season. So I'm not gonna go out and pick a guy who's already injured. And so that's why I'm likely to be fading Saquon Barkley. You know, the more information comes out about him potentially not playing. His injury has definitely been heavily talked about, but I think one of the things that is flying under the radar is just how bad this Giants offensive line is. And it has been a little bit improved. It's definitely a young unit, but I still think it's gonna be subpar. And that's not something I want for a guy coming back from a very serious injury. People are forgetting that in week one last year, Saquon Barkley averaged under one yard a carry over that entire game. 
and it's just because that offensive line could find no holes for him. And so I think there are some very serious red flags here with Saquon Barkley. Next up, I have Jonathan Taylor from the Colts. I just think he's going to have a huge amount of rushing upside this year. I expect him to continue to be the workhorse of that Colts backfield. He may not have the receiving upside that some of these players ahead of him have, which is why, you know, he's going lower than Kamara or Saquon or Zeke, but I still think he's going to feast on the ground. This is a very, very solid Colts offensive line, and we saw at the end of last season, he balled out, and I know he's not going to replicate you know, the numbers he put up in the last five games last season because he was playing against really, really bad rushing defenses. But I think what I liked from that five-game stretch was just how much they were utilizing him and they were giving him the vast majority of the carries. And if the Colts continue that into 2021, he is going to have a huge ceiling this year. At number eight, it's Austin Eckler. He is one of my favorite players to target at the end of the first round, start of the second round. I'm really expecting him to have a huge season this year. Everything is lined up in his favor. They have new coaches. The offensive coordinator, Lombardi, was the Saints quarterback coach, and you saw how he used Alvin Kamara in that offense. I think Austin Eckler is very similar to Kamara. Obviously not quite as good, but they're both kind of those dual threat backs. And so you know that Austin Eckler is going to be heavily involved in the receiving game. He's going to be getting a ton of targets. When him and Herbert were on the field together, Herbert was definitely feeding him in the receiving game. But I also think he's going to take over more of a role in this rushing attack. And if he can even get like 50% of the red zone work, he is in for a huge season. I just think that receiving game gives him a really solid floor. But then if he can put all the other aspects together, he is a serious contender to finish as a top three running back. Now at number nine, it's Nick Chubb. Basically the complete opposite of Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler is that receiving back and Nick Chubb gets it done entirely on the ground. Basically, I think a poor man's Derrick Henry. And I think he'd be up there in that Derrick Henry tier if Kareem Hunt wasn't there. But I'm still confident that Nick Chubb is a low-end RB1. He just has so much consistency. This Browns rushing attack is so efficient with Kevin Stefanski as the head coach. He's going to be locked in for a little under 20 carries a game, averaging over five yards a touch with a lot of touchdown opportunity. And so I expect him to go out and basically replicate what he did in 2020, maybe a little bit less touchdown upside because he did score a touchdown a game. But I mean, even if he drops to, you know, 10, 12 touchdowns in 16 games, he is still a locked in RB1. Moving on to number 10, it's Aaron Jones. And I've talked about this in previous videos, but this is kind of a placeholder ranking. I think it's somewhere between where he would be if Rodgers came back and where he would be if Rodgers, you know, was confirmed not coming back. I think if by the next time I do my rankings, nothing has kind of been resolved, I think he has to fall a little bit farther than this because it's seeming more and more likely that Rodgers is not going to play. But if Rodgers comes back, Aaron Jones is slotted in at my RB5. I would be a huge Aaron Jones fan, and I think I'd be getting him at a lot of value. But if A-Rod does not come back, he's got to fall into more of a you know mid to lower tier RB2 just because he's not going to have that same efficiency and touchdown upside that he would when Rodgers was there. And then that also brings in the A.J. Dillon concern. You know, when he's able to average close to five yards a carry and get a lot of touchdowns, it doesn't really matter that A.J. Dillon is kind of vulturing some of those touches, but it would definitely matter if he doesn't have that efficiency or that upside anymore. Next up, I have Joe Mixon, 
and I think I'm higher on Joe Mixon than a lot of people, and I really can't argue with you if you're fading Joe Mixon because of his disappointing last two seasons, but I'm just going to break down why I'm going after Joe Mixon. I just recently talked about him in a player versus player comparison video. I think that was like two days ago, so go check that out if you haven't seen it, but for Joe Mixon, I'm just going to be attacking that potential workload. I think he's lined up to get 20 plus carries and five plus targets a game. And on this improved offense with an improved offensive line, it's still not great, but it's better. You have more weapons. This is going to be a high scoring offense. I just think there's so much potential with that workload. And he really does have high end RB1 upside if he can capitalize on those potential touches. All right, here at number 12, this is actually where I had Cam Akers ranked. But obviously, after his Achilles tear, he is no longer here. So basically, everyone moved up a spot in my rankings. So now at number 12, I have Antonio Gibson from the Washington football team. I think he's going to build on his already very solid rookie year. Now he's coming into training camp as the established RB1. He's the guy out of that backfield. He's going to be getting the majority of the carries. Hopefully, he's able to add to that receiving work. But I still think that JD McKissick is going to be leading that backfield in receptions but he's going to have more touchdown upside this year going from the Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins group of quarterbacks to Fitz or Heineke. Whoever takes over there, I think it's definitely going to be an upgrade. So he should have a very solid season as a lower end RB1. At number 13, it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Definitely one of the biggest overall disappointments from the 2020 season. You know, he was being drafted in the first round, but just did not live up to those expectations. But I think we can take advantage of that this year. If people are fading him, you know, because they didn't like the way he performed. I think there's basically kind of two groups of people. The first group is the people that drafted him and, you know, they're bummed out that they picked him and didn't get their return. And then it's the other people who didn't draft him and kind of feel vindicated that they didn't miss on him. But so they still may be fading him this year. But I think this is CEH's year to truly take over as the workhorse out of that backfield. He was still putting up very solid numbers before they brought in Le'Veon Bell. He's great in the receiving game. Even if they don't use him a ton, he's still the top receiving option out of that backfield. He was great on the ground and they didn't bring back Le'Veon Bell. They cut Damian Williams. So I think they're really going to give him that full workload this year. And this is going to be his true breakout. Up next at number 14, I have Najee Harris. I've slowly started moving him up my rankings. I think this is likely the highest I'm going to go unless there's some sort of injury again. You know, like he moved up another slot because Cam Akers is now out for the season. But Najee Harris is going to have a very solid amount of volume. I think that is definitely, you know, his best attribute this year. He's going to be getting a lot of carries, a lot of targets, which that volume is going to give him a really solid floor. I just think the disconnect between my opinion of Najee and, you know, the overall consensus of the fantasy community is his upside. I don't think he has that crazy high-end upside that a lot of people are looking for, and I think it's because I don't think he's going to have a lot of efficiency on these touches. He may be getting, you know, 250-plus carries, but is he really going to be averaging, you know, over four and a half yards a carry? I just don't know. The Steelers' offensive line is not good for run blocking, and so I think that's definitely a concern, but with the amount of touches he's lined up to get, he still has a very solid floor, and so I'm feeling good about him as a high-end RB2 this season. Now I have DeAndre Swift coming in at number 15, and this whole Lions offense is just really weird to kind of think about. I'm projecting that Swift is going to get a lot of touches, a lot of carries, a lot of targets, just a lot of opportunities as a whole, 
but I also think there's just going to be very limited touchdown upside on this Lions offense. You're going from Matthew Stafford to Jared Goff at quarterback. Huge downgrade in my opinion. And then you're also losing your top two receivers. Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are both gone. And so there's just not a lot of targets on this team. So I think Swift, Williams, and TJ Hawkinson are going to be really carrying the touches of this offense, which should give Swift a solid floor. I think Swift could be one of the top receiving backs this year. We saw him show out last year in the receiving game. And so he would be a little bit higher if he had that touchdown upside, but still coming in as a solid RB2 for me. At number 16, I have Chris Carson. I think I'm higher on him than consensus. I really just expect him to come back into the Seattle Seahawks offense and operate as the workhorse. He obviously had a rougher season last year, but he dealt with injuries, which really slowed him down. But what was really encouraging from that season is that he showed some real promise in the receiving game. It was one of his best receiving seasons, even though he missed four games. And so if he can translate that into this year, being a part of the Seattle Seahawks offense is going to be very profitable, especially if you're operating as the workhorse. So I'm totally confident with him as a running back too. And he just seems to be one of those players where if he's healthy, he's always going to perform up to his ADP. Up next, I have J.K. Dobbins, and I think I'm lower on J.K. Dobbins than consensus, higher on Chris Carson, lower on Dobbins. I'm just concerned about how touchdown dependent he is, right? He doesn't get any work in the receiving game, like practically nothing. And so for him to succeed, I mean, especially in half point PPR and PPR, he needs to do everything on the ground and getting into the end zone. And here's the issue. He's not one of these players like Chubb or Henry. You know, Henry's getting 20 plus carries a game. Chubb's probably getting 16 plus carries a game. Dobbins, I'd be surprised if he gets 15 carries a game this year, just because he's splitting with Lamar and Gus Edwards. The Ravens really like to use two running backs at once. And so obviously he's going to get more touches than Gus Edwards, but I mean, I don't think it's going to be by a crazy amount. And so he could go out there, have a really solid overall game, you know, maybe run the ball 14 times, 70 yards, a reception for 10 yards. And if he doesn't get into the end zone, it's going to look like a pretty bad week for him. And so I just don't know how comfortable I am buying in on a player like that. Ravens running backs have shown in the past that they can be very touchdown efficient. We saw it with Mark Ingram. But I don't know. I just don't like the idea of drafting an RB2 who could get a little bit unlucky with touchdowns and then it turns into just an overall bad season. I'd rather bet on a player who has a little bit more volume and more diverse ways of scoring fantasy points. Coming in at number 18, it's David Montgomery. He's a player that was a fantasy league winner for a lot of people last year, absolutely tore it up to end the season and ended up finishing as a mid-tier RB1 a crazy solid sophomore season from him. And obviously it seems like he's fallen off from that. And I think there are some pretty clear reasons why. Last year, he was basically operating as the only player out of that backfield. Tariq Cohen tore his ACL very early on in the season. So Montgomery was totally able to take over that receiving role. I don't think he's gonna have that again this year. Cohen's coming back and is obviously a very talented playmaker. So I think he takes back that receiving role which is going to hurt Montgomery, especially in half point PPR and PPR scoring. And then also, they really just didn't have any depth even behind Cohen, right? After Montgomery, they were using Cordero Patterson as their number two running back, who isn't even a running back. But then this offseason, they brought in Damian Williams. So I expect him to get a few carries a game. And even though it's not a lot, it's still taking away from that overall monopoly that David Montgomery had. And then you look at this Bears team overall, 
It's not going to be a super explosive offense. They don't have a great align. So now that Montgomery doesn't have that insane volume, I think his production is definitely going to take a hit, but still, you know, a decent RB2 option. All right, now at number 19, I have Miles Sanders. I really think Sanders has the ability to be an RB1 for fantasy, but this situation is just not great with the Eagles. I don't know what it is about Miles Sanders, but it's something where the Eagles just do not want to commit to him as the workhorse back. I think he has that potential, but then you look at the moves that the Eagles made this offseason, drafting Kenny Gainwell, bringing in Carrion Johnson, bringing in Jordan Howard. You know, all these guys may not even make the roster, but it's just the idea that they continue to go out and bring in competition for Miles Sanders, which concerns me, especially when it's players who kind of specialize in these niche roles. Kenny Gainwell, a great receiving back. Jordan Howard, solid big body red zone option. You know, if he starts to lose these little aspects of the offense, it's really going to hurt his overall fantasy value. And so that's why he comes in here at number 19. Next up, I have Miles Gaskin, and I am a big Miles Gaskin fan this year. I expect him to have a really solid fantasy season. It looks like he's lined up to be the RB1 out of that offense. They didn't bring in any big name free agents. They brought in Malcolm Brown, but I still think Miles Gaskin is ahead of him, and they didn't draft any you know top prospects. And so if Miles Gaskin is able to take over that workhorse role, I really think he has legit RB1 upside. And so you know he may not be the safest or most established NFL running back, but he has that really high end potential. He's a great pass catcher out of the backfield that mixes really well with Tua because he didn't really want to push the ball down the field a ton and was just kind of feeding Miles Gaskin. He's also solid on the ground. This is going to be a decent overall Dolphins offense. And Gaskin is honestly one of my favorite players to target at his current ADP. Next up at 21, it's Mike Davis. And I kind of compare Gaskin and Davis together because I think they're both players who aren't established, you know, NFL top tier running backs, but they are both in great situations and seem to have a lower ADP just because people aren't 100% in on them, you know, as starters, which definitely makes sense. But I'm willing to take the risk on players, you know, not having big names, but being in these really solid roles because I think the upside is 100% there. Mike Davis with the Falcons now, they didn't bring in any competition for him. It looks like they're ready to roll with him. I think this is a really solid strategy from NFL teams in general. You know, you're not paying these running backs a ton of money. You're bringing in these capable guys and kind of building around them. Now with the Falcons, you have Arthur Smith at head coach. We saw him with the Titans. They liked using a workhorse with Derrick Henry. Obviously, Mike Davis is not even comparable to Derrick Henry, but I think it's still good to see that Mike Davis could be in line for a huge amount of work. And then also we saw last season, Mike Davis very solid in the receiving game when he replaced Christian McCaffrey for the Panthers. So I'm also a big fan of Mike Davis this season. At number 22, I have Josh Jacobs, and I know I'm gonna have the Josh Jacobs supporters coming after me here, but I just do not like Josh Jacobs for fantasy this season. You know, maybe if you want a player who has a more established workload, then I could see you picking him over guys like Gaskin and Davis, but I just think his upside is almost non-existent. You look at how he scored his points right in his rookie season and sophomore season. He was a solid RB2, you know, borderline RB1, but he scores 
through volume and touchdowns. He's not very involved in the receiving game. I'm not saying he can't do it, but they just don't like to use him in that way. And you know, that's a fine way to score. You get a decent floor through all those touches and you get in the end zone. But then when you go out and bring in Kenyon Drake, you pay him over $7 million a year. You can't tell me that that player is not going to be involved in the offense. And so on a per game basis, I would expect Jacobs carries, targets, and touchdowns to regress from last season. And that is not what you want to see. He already had a very small role in the receiving game. And that's probably going to become non-existent because Kenyon Drake is the much better pass catcher. So I just don't really like this overall Raiders system. And it's not an offense like the Cleveland Browns that can support, you know, two high-end running backs at the same time. The Raiders offensive line is not good. They're not explosive as an offense overall and don't have a lot of touchdown upside. So Josh Jacobs is probably a guy I'm going to have no shares of this year just because I don't think I'm going to be drafting him at his current ADP. Moving on to number 23, a new entry in my rankings. It is Daryl Henderson. Obviously, he's slotting in here after the Cam Akers injury. Right now, it looks like he's slotted in to take over that starting role. I'm not 100% you know, convinced that he's going to be the guy no matter what, because I do think the Rams are going to have some options to go out and bring in some veteran backs. You got guys like Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley still out there. You know, he knows the offense, even if he's not what he used to be. Adrian Peterson, a lot of options. And so I do expect them to bring someone in to kind of compete with touches with Daryl Henderson. Cam Akers was slotted in to be the complete workhorse, getting almost every touch on that offense. I don't think they're going to give Daryl Henderson the same workload. But I mean, if he is the starter, he doesn't even have to have a complete monopoly on the touches. This Rams offense is going to be very good. I think it's going to be an explosive offense with Matthew Stafford. They're going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns. And so Henderson does have some value, but I think we just kind of have to wait and see what moves the Rams make. They don't go out and get anyone. Daryl Henderson could definitely move up from this number 23 ranking, but I think he also has some room to move down if they bring in a lot of competition for him. The last player in my top 24 running backs is Kareem Hunt from the Cleveland Browns. And I have Hunt here for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned for Nick Chubb. He's a part of that great Cleveland Browns rushing attack. They're very efficient and Hunt has basically carved out his own role in the offense. They're obviously competing for touches, but I think they both kind of have their established roles and they've both shown that they can be successful in it. Kareem Hunt is a guy that you feel very confident as your RB3, a solid flex play on a week-to-week basis. He's more of the pass catcher out of that backfield, but will still get carries, will still get red zone opportunities. And so a very safe guy who has a lot of high upside if Nick Chubb does go down. We saw he had some decent games last season when Nick Chubb went down, you know, a high-end RB2 or lower end RB1. And so he is going to conclude this top 24 running backs. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for my top 24 running back rankings. If you guys enjoyed this video, please just hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And also let me know your thoughts down below. What players do you think I'm too high on, too low on? Let me know your reasoning. I'd love to hear your guys' perspectives and I'll make sure to respond to every person who comments down below. I will continue to update these rankings, you know, probably within the next month, but make sure in the next couple days, you guys stay tuned for the wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end rankings. I'm going to be putting all of those out, you know, in the next couple days. So look out for those. But that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for stopping by, watching, and listening. I really appreciate the support, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.